Have you ever been let down? Have you ever been promised something that you just didn't get? How did you respond? As I reflected on that question some this week, I realized and was reminded of the depth of my own sin nature. Because by my memory, which I'll be honest is not always that good, there have been many more times that I got upset because I didn't receive something that I thought I deserved rather than simply didn't receive something that was promised to me. Certainly there have been times that we've all received things that we were promised and we didn't get because such is life, but If you're anything like me, there probably have been more instances in which you simply didn't get something that you thought you deserved or that you wanted, and so you got upset. I grew up in the city, but I've always sort of had this affinity for the country. And some of my favorite childhood memories are going to my grandparents' house in what seemed like the middle of nowhere in southern Kentucky. And my grandfather, Pa, as we called him, lived on a farm. And as long as I can remember, he had a number of cows that he kept on his farm. And during my childhood, for a short while, I sort of developed this obsession with cows. And I couldn't wait as a child being at my grandparents' house until it was time to get into Paul's old, red, beat-up, rusted pickup truck and go out to the pasture and feed the cows. I guess I thought that I was really helping him, doing him a favor uh, by going along with him uh, and, and helping him out in that way. But this obsession sort of spilled over for a short time into my toy collection. And so I would build these elaborate farms with barns and fences and cows and horses. And I've realized this morning that that sounds somewhat strange to uh, many, if not most of you, because while many boys were playing with action figures and video games, I was imagining myself as a cattle farmer. And I can remember one occasion as a child in which my mother and I were browsing a toy store together, uh, an instance which I'm sure my mother later regretted. And I remember seeing this toy that I thought would look really good in my farm collection. It was this shiny black bull. And so I asked my mother for it, like any kid does in a toy shop when they see a toy that they think they need or want. But when my mother told me no, that I couldn't have it, I I couldn't believe it. I was insulted. I, I was mad. I didn't understand why it was such a big deal. I didn't understand why I could not have this toy. And somehow, later down the road, that toy showed up from Santa, which, looking back, I can only suppose that it was out of motherly grace that my mom must have slipped Santa a 20, because I certainly did not deserve that toy that year. But we tend to do this. We tend to get upset 
when we don't get something that we want, even if we don't deserve it. This morning, we're going to look in God's word at the response of Jesus when he was let down. When he didn't get the treatment that he deserved. The difference, however, at least between Jesus' response and the scenario that we're going to look at in God's word and the story that I just told to you about myself is that Jesus was really let down. Let down by his closest friends and his closest followers. And I want to invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel. In your Bibles, John's Gospel will begin in chapter 13 before we make our way to our text in John chapter 21. As we look at how Jesus responded when he was not treated as he deserved. John chapter 13, Jesus is instructing and teaching his disciples during the final week of his life, the final week before he was crucified. He said this to them in verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now you probably know this story. Following this prediction by Christ, Jesus was arrested by a detachment of soldiers in the garden was taken before the religious leaders in his day and then ultimately taken before Pilate to be questioned before being handed over to be crucified. And during that time, the arrest of Jesus through his trial and ultimately leading up to his crucifixion, he was abandoned by his closest followers. Skip over to John chapter 18. Verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Skip down to verse 25. Meanwhile, 
Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Jesus, abandoned by Simon Peter, the one who was a leader among his disciples, among his followers, denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, just as Jesus had predicted. How was Jesus to respond to this? How was Jesus to ever trust Peter again? How was Jesus to respond to Peter in light of such abandonment? In light of such a letdown? In light of such unfaithfulness and disobedience from his closest follower? We pick up the story today in John chapter 21. The final chapter of John's gospel. And this morning we'll be looking at John chapter 21 verses 15 through 19. And I believe we'll see from God's word today that those forgiven in Christ will follow Christ. Those forgiven in Christ will follow Christ. I think that's the heart of what we'll see from from this encounter between Jesus and, and Peter in John chapter 21 beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I believe this is an important passage for our understanding of discipleship. Discipleship is one of the three values, overarching values of our church. The others being worship and missions. And this encounter here between Jesus and Simon Peter speaks volumes about Christian discipleship. We define discipleship as growing together as committed followers of Christ by studying and living out the teachings of Scripture. Discipleship is growing spiritually as believers in Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks these words. He he has this encounter with Peter where he asks him these three questions. 
do you love me? Do you really love me? On the heels of just having appeared to his disciples after his resurrection for the third time. He shows up again and Peter and some of the other disciples are are fishing. They see Jesus. Miraculously, he he tells them to, to cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they will bring in a large catch of fish even though they so far have caught nothing. And then they bring a catch to him on the shore and he prepares a meal for them over a fire and sits down and has dinner with them over the fire before then approaching Peter with this conversation. Peter, Simon Peter, is the one whose name Jesus changed to Peter. Cephas in the Aramaic, or Peter in the Greek meaning rock. But here we read about Peter denying Jesus, not living up to his name, not not acting as if he is a rock in his Christian walk, wavering in his commitment to Christ. And yet Jesus here doesn't address him as Peter. Addresses him as Simon, his former name. But even so, he doesn't chastise Peter here for his lack of commitment, for for his lack of devotion to Christ during his darkest hour. Instead, he gives him an opportunity to reverse his denial of Christ. Asking him three times, do you love me? Once for each time that he had denied Christ. And based on this passage and what we know about Peter and the life of the church, it's clear that Jesus forgave Peter. Disciples follow a forgiving Christ. Disciples follow a forgiving Christ. No doubt Peter felt shame for his abandonment of Christ. For abandoning his master, his Lord, his Savior. For turning his back on his Lord in his darkest hour. No doubt Peter felt awful for that denial. Yet Jesus forgave him. Jesus initiated this conversation going to Peter giving him opportunity to correct, to fix this denial of him. And chances are that many of us this morning have also abandoned Christ a time or two, or three, or four, perhaps a whole lot more. Chances are that that we have wandered away from Christ even after committing our lives to Christ, even after admitting that we need Christ for salvation, even after trusting in Christ for salvation. Because the truth is, we are all prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. Maybe this morning, you find yourself wandering from the God that you love. Maybe you have been wandering And in that way, you have abandoned your love of Christ. Maybe through selfish pursuits, maybe through secret sin, 
Maybe through apathy toward the mission of Christ. Maybe through a lack of commitment to His bride, the church. Or neglect of your spiritual walk with God. And if that is you, return to Christ. Return to Christ because He is a forgiving Savior, a loving Lord, a compassionate God. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and and many, many chances. A God who pursues His children. Forgiving Christ. The very same one who told this same Simon Peter sometime earlier that when he's sinned against by a brother or a sister to forgive that person not seven times but 77 times disciples follow a forgiving Christ and disciples are also characterized by love for Christ True disciples, according to Scripture, are characterized by love for Christ. Even though he had denied Christ, abandoned Christ in his darkest hour, Peter still loved Christ. When Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning and found it empty and went and told Simon Peter and John, Peter and John ran to the tomb. We're told in John chapter 21, when Peter saw the Lord... On the shore while he was fishing on the sea, he jumped into the water and began making his way to Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. And so Jesus asked him to express that love here, to verbalize that love here by asking him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Most likely, I think Jesus is asking Peter here, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Do you love me more than these others love me? After all, this was the very same one who said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. In other words, if if all other followers of you, Jesus, abandon you, I will never do that. The one who said, I will lay down my life for you. So Jesus... In light of that, now asking Peter, do you love me more than these? And every single time, Peter responded by saying, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know the condition of my heart. You know that my affections are on you. You know that I desire to follow you and to serve you. I cherish you, appealing to the omniscience of Christ rather than his own strength, which he often did before Christ was crucified and resurrection. In this way, he sort of has this post-resurrection perspective on following Christ. You cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ if you don't love Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus, do you and I love Jesus? Has our heart been captivated by Jesus? Fortunately, we live in a day in which this love for our Lord, this love for our Savior has often been reduced to 
mental acknowledgement of the existence of Jesus. Or perhaps a, a formulaic approach to receiving a blessing of Jesus with no real regard for loving Jesus. True disciples of Jesus love Jesus. True disciples of Jesus don't attempt to use Jesus as a means to an end. Folks, the gospel is that we get Jesus. We get God. We get a relationship with God now and forever. Something to be cherished. Disciples are characterized by love for Jesus. Disciples follow a forgiving Jesus. And thirdly, disciples serve others out of love for Christ. Disciples serve others out of love for Christ. After Jesus had asked Peter three times, do you love me? He then gave him this command to feed for his sheep, to care for his sheep, to take care of his people. And in this way, Jesus was, uh, Peter was to serve as a teacher, as a leader, as an under-shepherd, under the authority of the true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. But in his plan, he has called others to serve under his umbrella of authority and leadership and to lead the church in that way. And this is, this is the command that he gives Peter. And based on the New Testament as it describes the church and based on other authors, historians who describe the expansion of the church following the ascension of Christ, we have every reason to believe that from this time forward, Peter did not serve Christ for his own gain or for his own popularity or for his own glory, but he served Christ and his church out of love for Christ. He was called to serve and to lead others for the glory of God. And those who love Christ are also called to serve the body of Christ, the church, out of love for Christ. Are you serving the body of Christ for the glory of Christ? Are you and I serving the body of Christ, the church, for the glory of Christ? You know, none of us are called to to serve in the same role as Peter and the other early apostles. In fact, most of us are, are not even called to, to shepherd the church or to serve in a, a formal teaching capacity in the life of the church, but the picture of the New Testament church is every person, every member of the body of Christ serving in the church for the glory of Christ. This is the picture of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From Christ, the whole body... The whole body of Christ, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And that certainly applies to serving in the life of the church. All disciples are called to serve the church for the glory of Christ. 
Disciples follow a forgiving Christ. Disciples are characterized by love for Christ. Disciples serve others out of love for Christ. And fourth and finally, disciples imitate the self-sacrifice of Christ. Disciples imitate the self-sacrifice of Christ. Listen to what Jesus told Peter after this this question and answer session with, with Peter. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. In other words, Jesus is telling Peter here that there was a day in your past, Peter, where you made your own decisions. Where you went where you wanted to go. But there will come a day when when others will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And you will stretch out your hands. Implying that Peter himself would be crucified. Like the Lord Jesus had been crucified. Jesus is predicting the sacrifice that Peter would make as, as a follower of Christ. He's telling Peter that one day you will lay down your life for me. And in that way, John says, Peter would glorify God. Disciples love Christ to the point of following Christ even unto death. In life or in death, we're called to follow Christ. And after Jesus said this to Peter, predicting his, his death. He then told Peter, follow me. I'd like to think that those words were called some earlier words between Jesus and Peter and the other disciples. And no doubt, I think John intends for us to, as readers to make that connection, to remember In John chapter 1, verse 43, when Jesus told some men, follow me. It's as as if in light of Peter's denial of Christ and now reinstatement by Christ, Jesus is saying to Peter, follow me again. And the same thing might be true for us. Perhaps our affections are not set on Christ as they once were. Perhaps He's not the center of our emotions. He's not the center of our actions. He's not the center of our life. And and the Word of God this morning says to us, Follow me again. Follow me again. Those forgiven in Christ will follow Christ. And Peter had a difficult road ahead. A road that would be marked by arrests and beatings and persecution and ultimately death for the sake of the gospel. But he would remain unwavering in his commitment to the gospel. And John tells us through this, he would glorify God. 
And he would glorify God because through all of that, through whatever the world would throw at him, he would remain satisfied only and ultimately in Jesus Christ. He would be fixed on obeying Christ and serving Christ and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And one commentator, when he was writing on this particular passage, said that that Jesus waited until after this this meal with his disciples to tell Peter this because he didn't want to spoil his dinner. But I sort of disagree with that. Because for a follower of Christ, there's nothing more satisfying than following Christ. There's nothing more satisfying than living for Christ, than giving your life for Christ, than pursuing Christ, no matter the cost. Can we join Paul in his words to the church at Philippi? He wrote to them in chapter 1. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Disciples imitate the self-sacrifice of Christ. And it often means looking to the example of Christ. So let's look to the example of Christ. As we seek to to follow Christ, let's look to the example of Christ. And when I think about looking to the example of someone else or following the example of someone else, I think of the game Simon Says, which teaches about following the instructions and Following, following the examples of the leader. But we as followers of Jesus Christ don't, don't look simply to the authority and the example of Simon. Although some of our Catholic friends might like to convince us otherwise, but that's a conversation for another day. We look to the example and the authority And the leadership of Jesus Christ. What Jesus says we will do as followers of Jesus. If Jesus tells us to trust in Him, then we trust in Him. If Jesus tells us to follow Him, then we follow Him. If Jesus tells us to make sacrifices for the sake of the poor in His name, then we make sacrifices. If Jesus tells us to give up a week of our summer and spend it serving His church alongside brothers and sisters in Smithfield, Virginia, then that's what we do. If Jesus tells us to give up pornography, then we give up pornography. If Jesus tells us to seek forgiveness with a spouse or a parent or a child, then we seek forgiveness. Whatever Jesus says, that's what we do as followers of Jesus. Because He is Lord. He is Master of all. He is Savior of the world. He is supreme. He is God in the flesh. And we do what He says. Disciples imitate the example of Christ. They imitate the self-sacrifice of Christ. They look to the example of Christ. Because those forgiven in Christ will follow Christ. Out of abundant mercy 
out of the grace of God. He gave his life so that you and I could could have true life in and through him. Those forgiven in Christ will follow Christ. Please pray with me. Father God, oh to grace how great a debtor daily we are constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind our wandering hearts to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave you, the God we love. But here's our hearts, Lord. Take and seal them. Seal them for thy courts above. In Jesus' name, amen.